ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with the chapter regarding magic from last time, we are now on the section where he mentions قال البغوي العراف الذي يدعي معرفة الأمور بمقدمات يستدل بها على المسروق ومكان الضالة ومكان الضالة ونحو ذلك. So here now in this section, it is going to explain some of the terminology that was mentioned in the earlier parts of the chapter. We've been talking about the kahin and the sahiran, various terms that have been mentioned in the ahadith. This section is going to give some explanation about those different terms. So he mentions here, قال البغوي البغوي الإمام الحافظ الجليل محي السنة الحسين بن مسعود البغوي نسبة إلى بغ من بلاد المشرق لأنها من حرفين فإذا نسب إلى اسم من حرفين تزاد فيه واو فيقال بغوي So الإمام البغوي you will have heard of Al-Imam Al-Baghawi. One of his famous books is the Tafsir Al-Baghawi and others. He was or he is attributed to the area known as Bagh. From the area known as Bagh. But in Arabic when you want to make an attribution to an area that only has two letters in it, uh, you have to add a wow into it to put the ya nisbah on. Normally, you would say Yaban al Yabani, Pakistan, Pakistani. But with bagh, you cannot just add on the ya. Uh, grammatically, the wow is required, hence, it becomes baghawi. So, that is Al Imam al Baghawi from the area known as bagh. And as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says regarding him, هو إمام جليل سلفي العقيدة وله مؤلفات جليلة منها تفسير البغوي المطبوع المعروف المتداول وهو يشبه تفسير ابن كثير في التحقيق والأصالة وسلامة العقيدة إلا أنه أخصر من تفسير ابن كثير ومنها شرح السنة الذي يتكون من حوالي أربعة عشر مجلد وقد طبع والحمد لله ومنها مصابيح السنة التي رتبها وزاد عليها التبريزي في كتاب مشكات المصابيح So he gives a brief background to who Al-Imam Al-Baghawi is mentioning that he was a great Imam upon the Salafi Aqeedah and he has some great works some books of his from the famous ones Tafsir Al-Baghawi Tafsir Al-Baghawi which is printed and available why do the scholars say it's printed and available? What's the point of mentioning it's printed and available? If you're going to tell us about the books that he got, then obviously they're going to be printed and available or not. Why would you have to say they are printed and available? Some scholars... They have, from the olden scholars, from the early centuries, they have books that they wrote. And we know for sure 
that they had written certain books, but we don't have them. They are unavailable, nobody has them. Then how do we know they wrote them? If nobody has them, there's no manuscripts, how do we know they wrote these books then? The students what? Sort of. Aha. Uh -huh. So there are scholars, like Ibn Taymiyyah, for example. Ibn Taymiyyah might say, he might mention one of the early scholars, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, whoever, and say, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi said in his book X, Y, and Z. But that book, we have no idea where it is now. No manuscript of it, no nothing of it. But it existed, it was there, there must have been some manuscript, there must have been something for the earlier scholars centuries ago to have been quoting from it. So it definitely existed, but we don't have it now. Some books that we absolutely have nothing of them, they don't exist now at all in any form. Then sometimes you see the scholars say that such and such had a particular book, Wahua Mafqood. But it has been lost. It is unknown where that book is now, where the manuscripts for it are. So many a time you come across that, where the scholars will mention a list of books for somebody from the earlier generations. And then, especially in the theses, masters and PhD kind of theses, they'll mention a scholar, they'll list out all of his books, and then next to it they'll tell you, Matbu'ah. Mafqood, Juz'un Minhu Matbu'ah, some of their older books, maybe a portion of it was found, maybe half the manuscript was found, and the other half, they don't know where it's gone. So then they'll say, a portion of it is available and printed. So that's what it is when they say, and this book is printed and available, as opposed to sometimes not being printed, or being available and not being printed. Uh, so that's why they highlight that point. So he says, Tafsir al-Baghawi is available and printed. That's to be found. You can purchase that. It's available. And then also, Sharh al-Sunnah. Another one of the famous books. Sharh al-Sunnah of Imam al-Baghawi. Another big book the Sheikh mentions in approximately 14 volumes. And that is also printed. And Masabih al-Sunnah. These are some of the books and some of the works of Imam al-Baghawi. Regarding his tafsir, he says the tafsir of Imam al-Baghawi is similar to the tafsir of Imam ibn Kathir. But the tafsir of al-Baghawi is more succinct, uh, brief, compared to the tafsir of Ibn Kathir. And all of them, they return back to the tafsir of At-Tabari, Ibn Jarir. Ibn Jarir At-Tabari is considered as the original main book of tafsir. Then all of the others, Ibn Kathir, Al-Baghawi, Al-Qurtubi, etc., they all revolve around and return back to the same kinds of things that are mentioned in tafsir Ibn Jarir. And there are different types. You might say, well, all of these books of tafsir, are they not all similar then? It's all about the speech of Allah. The speech of Allah is, has a certain meaning to it. Are they not all going to be mentioning the same meanings? Because they're all going to be quoting from the same statements of the Salaf. Is it not all going to be similar? The reality is they are not. Because books of tafsir... They may be written in different styles. There are different styles of tafsir. There are different objectives behind tafsir. Some of the scholars, they say like Imam al-Qurtubi, his tafsir focuses a lot on rulings of fiqh, for example. Some books of tafsir, their angle might be focused on fiqh a lot. So when they talk about the ayat, they're always picking out fiqh rulings as a main point of their tafsir. Whereas another scholar might write his tafsir and his key focus is all about the aqidah, everywhere highlighting points of aqidah and benefits of aqidah. So his tafsir is more revolved around that point. And then you can have different styles of tafsir. 
You have, for example, the tafsir of uh, Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di. That is known as, they call it tafsir ijmali. It is a type of tafsir, a generic tafsir, a general and overall form of tafsir. They give it a title. They say these are the tafsir ijmali types. And that is where the scholar who's doing that type of tafsir doesn't go into detail and pick out precise points everywhere, but rather gives you an overview of the ayat. And that's why the tafsir of a Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Si'di is one of the easiest ones and best ones to begin with to get an overall idea of the ayat. You want to understand overall what does this surah talk about? Surah Yusuf. You want to see what is the story about overall? What happened? What happened with the brothers? What happened with the dream? What was the story about overall? What are some general main benefits from that story? If you want that, then you go to Tafsir al-Sa'di. Tafsir al-Sa'di will give you the overall story in the Tafsir of that chapter. will give you some of the main benefits from it. Some of the main things to be uh, uh, taken as fawaid and that's it. But if you go to Tabari, if you read Tafsir al-Tabari, 80% of the Tafsir will be on, will be uh, uh, difficult to understand. Because of the way that it's done. The athar and the chains of narration and then distinguishing between the authentic and non-authentic. The older books of the scholars from the earlier centuries are difficult to read. They take more effort and you have to almost build up to reading those kinds of books. Because those books, like you go to uh, Kitab al-Tawheed, Ibn Khuzayma and things like that. And you think, okay, yeah, I've done this Kitab al-Tawheed. I've done Kitab al-Tawheed of al-Bukhari, you've gone through that. Let me go pick up a Kitab al-Tawheed of Ibn Khuzayma or somebody. And all of a sudden you start looking at that and you don't understand anything. Because it is all chains of narration everywhere. The half of the page might be a chain of narration. And then two lines at the bottom is the actual narration. And the next page, from that page, three quarters of it are chains of narration. And two or three lines of it are the actual hadith or narration. So they become complex to read and understand. But the point here is, he says, these are some of the main books of Al-Imam Al-Baghawi. فَهُوَ إِمَامٌ جَلِيلٌ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ وَهُوَ مِنْ أَئِمَّةِ شَافِعِيَّةِ he was one of the main imams of the Shafi'i Madhab. وَيُلَقَّبْ بِمُحِيِّ السُنَّةِ And he was known as the reviver of the Sunnah. لِأَنَّهُ إِمَامٌ مُجَدِّدٌ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ Because he was a reviver. He revived the Sunnah at his time. So, Imam Al-Baghawi says, Al-Arraf. الذي يدعي معرفة الأمور بمقدمات يستدل بها على المسروق ومكان الضالة ونحو ذلك that العراف العراف they said fortune teller I think the fortune teller the عراف is the one who claims to have knowledge of affairs through muqaddimat, through certain uh, either uh, actions or behaviors or certain items and articles, uh, uh, items, articles, not the written things, certain items and those kinds of affairs where he looks at those and examines those and via them he then uh, 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 extrapolates or deduces where the stolen item might be or where the lost item might be. وَهَذَا مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ And this is from the shaytan, as are all of these activities that we mentioned. فَالشَّيَاطِينَ تَأْتِيهِ بِذَلِكَ The shayateen, they come to him with that information. لَكِنْ يَتَظَاهِرْ بِعَمَلْ أَشْيَاءِ يَظُنُّ النَّاسِ أَنَّ هَذِهِ الْأَشْيَاءِ مِنَ الْأُمُورِ الْمُبَاحَةِ لكن هذه رموز فقط وإلا في الحقيقة هو يتعامل مع الشيطان So the shayateen they come to him with that information 
with the information of where the lost items are, where the lost property is, where this particular thing is that you're looking for. The shayateen come to him with that information, but he pretends via other affairs that he's doing something else in determining where that item is, and the reality is that information comes to him from the shayateen. And that is like we mentioned last week the story that uh, uh, Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Abbad mentioned about the magician. The magician, he mentioned he heard this story directly from the person involved in it. That there was an individual, he had a neighbor. An individual who is the narrator of this story, he says, I had a neighbor and my neighbor, he wasn't a wealthy man in business or had any shops or had any factories or any type of big business like that. But all of a sudden, I realized he became very wealthy. This is the neighbor narrating the story to Sheikh Abdul Razak directly. He says, after a while, out of nowhere, I, I, I realized he's become very wealthy with the items that he possesses, maybe the car, maybe renovations on his house, whatever it was. He said, I began to notice all of a sudden he's got a lot of money, but he's not got any businesses, he's not involved in any occupation where he earns a lot. So he said, I was curious, what's going on? How has he suddenly ended up so wealthy? You can see all of this wealth on him now, but he's not known for any business or or factories or any type of trade. So he said, I was curious and I went to him and they'd been neighbors for a long time. He says, I went to him and I asked him, you know, out of curiosity, I'm wondering, how have you managed to get all of this wealth? What's going on? Tell me how to do it. Because I don't really see you involved in any work or having to go do long shifts or any business or factory or what's going on. How are you earning all this money? How have you become wealthy? Show me, I want to do it too. They've been neighbors for a long time. So he says, my neighbor said to me, okay, I'll tell you how to do it. I'll tell you how to get rich. I'll tell you how to do it, but with the condition. You must follow my instructions absolutely 100%. What I tell you to do, you must do it. The neighbor says, you know, I was thinking about the wealth and I got convinced and I said, okay, you tell me the steps, whatever you tell me, I'll do it. 100% exactly how you tell me, I'll follow your plan of action and I'll do it. And he was telling the sheikh, you know, I got convinced with the money and I saw what he had and I thought, yeah, I'll do it then. So then he says, my neighbor says to me, go to this particular river. Go, this was in an Arab country uh, where they were living. He says, go to this particular river at Maghrib time. Go to the edge of the river, the river bank, at Maghrib time, and you'll get your instructions from there. And whatever instructions you get when you get there, make sure you follow them 100%. He kept telling him that. Whatever they tell you to do when you get to the river, follow it 100%. The neighbor says, I said to him, yeah, of course, absolutely, I'll do it, I'll do it. So the neighbor tells him, go to that river. He goes to the river. True story, all of this, of course. He goes to the river bank. At Maghrib time, when the sun is setting, and the sun sets between the horns of the shaitan, he says, when I got to the river, then uh, something, some entity came to me out of the water. And if, if I remember one time the sheikh saying it was like a fish, some type of entity resemblant of something that would live in water. That these entity or these entities, one or plural, they came to me out of the water. And they started giving me the instructions. And the en- this entity, best thing you can call it, it said to me, the first thing you need to do then, these are your instructions, the first thing you need to do is miss your Maghrib prayer, which is coming up right now. Miss the prayer. Stop your prayers. The neighbor, this man, he says, when this 
entity came out and spoke to me and said this to me, that the first thing you need to do is stop the prayer. So miss your Maghrib now, then we'll get on to the next stage and the next stage. He said, I had been raised all of my life upon the prayer. All of my life I had been raised upon the prayer. It could not even come into my mind to miss a prayer. I was absolutely upon the tarbiyah of the prayer from a young age. It was impossible for me to even think about missing a prayer. He said, as soon as this entity said to me, miss the prayers, that was it. I couldn't do it. And he said, I refused. That was it. Couldn't go any further. He said, I refused. And I said to this entity, I won't do that. And it mentions in, the narr- in this story when it was being narrated, he says the entity made like a, like a, a noise of some sort. Like a growl or a scream. Some type of noise. And it disappeared back into the water. This person then comes back home and he said, when I got back home, my neighbor was fuming. Already the neighbor was fuming and he was agitated and and all over the place. And so when he got back, the neighbor in this state of agitation and fuming, he says, he said to me, why did you not follow the instructions? I told you, you have to follow the instructions exactly as they tell you. Why didn't you follow the instructions? He said, now, the neighbor was telling him this. He said, my neighbor said to me, now they are here dealing with me. They are here dealing with me now. Because they are saying, you sent us basically a bad recruit. That's how it was. He said, they are here now dealing with me, telling me, why did you send us a bad recruit? So he said, my neighbor was fuming with me. You had promised you're going to follow my instructions. Now they are here dealing with me, telling me why did you send us a bad recruit. And so the point is, that neighbor had become rich and wealthy and whatever he was doing, upon the magic he was involved in and this sorcery and fortune telling and whatever, with those shayateen, these entities that came out of the water, even if we say they were like fish, they spoke to him. They spoke to him. And they said, stop your prayer, do not pray. They came out of the water speaking to shayateen, jinn, all of these things. And that's what his neighbor was involved in. And so whatever he was doing and making the money and, uh, from those actions and activities of his with those shayateen and those jinn. And so the sheikh, he mentioned this is a proof again. It shows you that all of these magicians and these individuals of that nature, they work with the shayateen, they work with the jinn the shayateen of the jinn, to do what they do. So here then, it mentions that they use the shayateen for that, the arraf, when he can suddenly work out where your lost property is, you come to him, I lost my ring, I lost this, I lost that, and he works it out, go to this location and that location, you'll find it there. And they go and they find it there. That is from the shayateen participating with him in giving him that information. وَقِيلْ هُوَ الْكَاهِنْ And it has been said that the عَرَّاف is the kahin. وَهُوَ الَّذِي يُخْبِرُ عَنِ الْمُغَيَّبَاتِ فِي الْمُسْتَقْبَلِ And it has been said that the عَرَّاف is the same as the kahin. They are both the same thing. لِأَنَّ كُلًّا مِنْهُمَا يُخْبِرُ عَنِ الْأُمُورِ الْغَائِبَةِ بِوَاسِطَةِ الشَّيَاطِينَ Because both of them, like you may say, the crystal ball readers, the palm readers, the fortune tellers, the soothsayers, all of these individuals, Kahin, Araf, etc., they are all informing you of affairs of the unseen. They are all involved in speaking about the affairs of the unseen. So all of them are doing that via the shayateen. Because remember, the affairs of the unseen are two types. What are the two types of the affairs of the unseen? Of the, of the ghayb. So one type of the ghayb is something that nobody knows except Allah. The absolute ghayb. 
The absolute unseen. And what is the other type? Possible to know means. Possible to know the ghaib through means. Through permissible means. What Allah has revealed to us. Huh? What Allah has revealed to us through his messenger. Then it's not ghaib anymore, really. The other type of ghaib, uh, as they call it, ghaib nisbi. The unseen in a relative sense. In a relative sense. What is happening right now upstairs, in the room upstairs here? What is happening right now? Exactly the actions that are taking place upstairs. How many people are in there? How many people are sat down? How many people are stood up? How many people are taking notes? What is going on right now? To us, that is unseen. We don't know how many people are sat behind in the room over there, upstairs in the building, how many of them are making notes, how many of them are relaxing, how many of them on their phone. That is from the unseen to us. But somebody in that room, is it unseen to them? They know exactly what's going on in that room. They're in that room. To that person, there's no unseen in that room. For us, it is unseen. That is something that, uh, which is relatively unseen. Something that is a relative form of being from the unseen. Meaning it is unseen to some, but not to others. So those in that room behind us, they know what's going on in their room. Us to them are from the unseen. Relatively speaking. They don't know how many people are in here, what people are doing, how they are sitting, how they are making notes. So that is the relative form. These types of things are from the relative form. A lot of this is the relative unseen. The only other type is when they climb on top of their backs and steal it from the heavens. Otherwise, all these other affairs are from the relative unseen. How is it relatively unseen then? If somebody comes into them and says, I lost my ring, it was so valuable to me, I don't know where it could be. And this Arraf or this Kahin says, it's in such and such a place, go there, you'll find it. How is that from the relative unseen? They, they ask me questions like, where were you last? So they were All of that, and then they have who helping them to locate yeah. the Shayateen. Because the Shayateen have a far greater ability with certain affairs than we do. Some of them have the ability to fly, to cover vast areas in short periods of time. What would take us maybe six months to search a particular area or forest land. A group of the shayateen may go search all of that area in six hours. So then they are able to locate things that we would otherwise maybe spend months and years trying to locate. So then they work with the shayateen in that way and find lost property and items. And then these people, they say, that's it. Look, they knew. How could they have known? It was going to be in that forest. I dropped it there next to that tree. That's where it was. How could he have known that? He must have some powers and ability. And it is the shayateen working with them. So some of them say the Arraf and the Kahin are the same thing. But others, That the Kahin is the one who tells you about the unseen in the future. Like a fortune teller. He tells you what's going to happen in your life. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. Tells you about the unseen of the future. بسبب أن الشياطين تخبره بما تعلم مما لا يعلمه الإنسان لأن الشياطين تدري عن أشياء لا يعرفها الناس فيخبرون الناس في مقابل إن الناس يخضعون لهم ويفعلون ما يطلبونه منه من الشرك والكفر بالله عز وجل So again that can be a form of relative unseen The Shaykh says it is possible in the world of the jinn because the jinn they live where? On this on this planet, on this earth the jinn live on this earth, not another planet somewhere. So the sheikh says it is possible in the world of the jinn that they may be aware in their world, in their creation of certain affairs of this earth and this planet and what is happening that we as humans don't know yet. So they may come and inform them that such an event is going to happen. And because of their awareness of things and their knowledge of from the world that they exist in that we don't know yet and they may come and inform of those types of things so this fortune teller says yes 
such and such is going to take place and this and that. And again, they mention a hundred things and only half of those things may actually occur from the general speech that they've got from the jinn. And then that little thing that does occur, the people, they step on that, they pick up on that. Look, he said this was going to happen. And so the jinn, the only reason they would tell the fortune teller those things is if the fortune teller submits himself to them. He submits himself to them, then they will help him and aid him. You remember, like we mentioned that time, the true story of the uh, uh, police in Saudi Arabia, I think it was, when they caught that magician. They found where he lived, a particular magician, and when they went into his house, uh, that magician had drawn on the walls pictures of uh, females unclothed, and he had been told to write ayat of the Qur'an into those pictures of them. And that he had, they said, a huge pile of feces in the middle of one of his rooms. They had told him that's how you use the toilet. Huge pile of feces, just that's where you go. And then drawings on the walls of ungarmented women writing the ayat of the Qur'an within those pictures. He has to do all of that. The kufr and the shirk, billah. Do all of that in order for the shayateen to then help him. Prostrate to them, live in that disgraceful state do all of that haram with the drawings and the ayat and everything, then they will help him and they will aid him. وَقِيلْ هُوَ الَّذِي يُخْبِرُ عَمَّا فِي الضَّمِيرِ And it has been said that he is the one that tells you of your inner thoughts. He tells you of your inner thoughts. يعني عَمَّا فِي النَّفْسِ He can tell what you are thinking. وَلَا يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْقُلُوبِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى But now, how could you say this is a relative unseen? That's definitely not a relative unseen. What is inside of you, what you're thinking, nobody knows that except Allah. But again, the shaykh says, لَكِنِ الشَّيَاطِينَ قَدْ يَعْرِفْ شَيْئًا مِنْ هَوَاجِسِ الْإِنسَانِ لِأَنَّهُ هُوَ الَّذِي يُوَسْوِسُ لِلْإِنسَانِ وَلِأَنَّهُ يَجْرِ مِنْ إِبْنِ آدَمْ مَجْرَ الدَّمْ فَيَعْرِفُ الشَّيْطَانِ مِنَ الْإِنسَانِ مَا لَا يَعْرِفُ الْإِنسَانِ عَنِ الْإِنسَانِ It's mentioned in one narration إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَجْرِ مِنْ إِبْنِ آدَمْ مَجْرَ الدَّمْ That the shaytan flows through the, the body of a person like the blood through the veins. So there's that intimate type of contact between the shaytan and a person. Also, the shaitan is the one that whispers to the people. And so the shaitan, the shayateen, will have an idea of maybe what this person may be thinking because they are the ones who whispered it into him. So they may have an idea that even though he doesn't really realize it yet, what we've been whispering to him, eventually it may have an impact on him and he may end up doing X, Y, and Z. So that's what the shayateen will tell the fortune teller. Tell him that he's going to one day do this and do that and those kinds of things. And they are assuming that from the types of whispers they are continuously planting in him. So it's an assumption that maybe he will end up like this or end up like that. That's where they are trying to push him with their whispers. The person himself may not recognize it yet. So when the fortune teller tells him or the crystal ball or whatever and then afterwards a few months later, maybe a year later... From those constant whisperings of the shayateen, he actually ends up doing certain things with his life or going in a certain direction or abandoning certain worship or whatever it is. And he thinks, look, that's what he told me a year ago was going to end up like this. So that is again from the help of the shayateen in that way that they may recognize from a person where he's headed at a time when the person himself may not yet recognize that's where he's headed. هذا تفسير البغوي that is all what al-Baghawi mentioned then قال أبو العباس ابن تيمية now the definition of ابن تيمية العراف ابن تيمية of course أبو العباس is his كنية وليس له ابن اسمه العباس the كنية of ابن تيمية is أبو العباس but he didn't actually have a son called Abbas. His son was actually called... 
He didn't have a son because he wasn't married. So Ibn Taymiyyah didn't marry. And he didn't have a son. But his kunya was Abu al-Abbas. So many of the people when they hear that, they say, MashaAllah, I'm not going to marry. I'm going to be like Ibn Taymiyyah. And there's other examples. There's examples of major ulama of the past, imma, like Ibn Taymiyyah and those kinds of levels who never married. So some of the people, they say, some of the youth, the shabab and the young, that that's it, I'm not going to marry. Ibn Taymiyyah is my evidence. And such and such is my evidence from the ulama of the past, from the great scholars of the past, the likes of Ibn Taymiyyah. They never married. Is that an evidence? Of course not. How can that be an evidence? You have the statement of the Prophet ﷺ telling you to marry. The messenger told you to marry and encouraged you to marry. So now the specific example of what may have occurred with an imam here or an imam there, that is obviously not going to override what is in the sunnah. Those are specific instances of what occurred with certain people. Ibn Taymiyyah was in jail for a long period of time. And lots of things happened in his life that may have prevented the possibility and the opportunity of marriage. So that is an exception to the rule. For exceptional circumstances and specific circumstances, they, they didn't marry. But that is not the rule of thumb and neither is it the rule of evidence. The rule of thumb and the evidence is you marry according to the sunnah, according to the encouragement of the Prophet. But then also the question always arises when the students, they say, should I marry first or should I delay it and focus on talabul ilm and knowledge? Some of the scholars, like uh, al-Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, he said, marry. Do not say that your seeking of knowledge is the reason to not get married. If you have the ability, obviously it requires the ability, some, some amount of finance and ability to look after the wife, etc. If you have that, then don't make seeking knowledge your reason not to marry. As Sheikh Abdul Muhsin said, in fact, if you marry, insha'Allah ta'ala, it will aid you with your talabul ilm. It will aid you upon your seeking of knowledge. Because then the marriage, it fulfills other aspects of your life. Fulfills other aspects of your life. Increases you in your iman if you have a righteous wife. And so it makes a lot of affairs easier for you being married perhaps. And so he said, marriage may aid you in your talabul ilm. Do not consider it to be some type of obstacle in the path of knowledge. And that's why you search for the wife of goodness, of knowledge, of ability. They mentioned though, I think I mentioned it once before, there was a brother who married a very knowledgeable sister. She was very knowledgeable. And that's what you look for. You look for somebody of knowledge. And so this brother was a talib al-ilm, and he married a, a sister who was a talib al-ilm. Outright student of knowledge she was as well. So they got married, and then after a while, the sister asked for a divorce. What's the reason? Talibul ilm. She's a talibatul ilm. Student of knowledge, both of them, proper. She said, you are a miskeen. You talibul ilm. And I don't remember the details, something like Bukhari. You haven't even memorized certain amount of hadith in Bukhari or something. And you, have, you don't even know this. You talib al-ilm, now I've realized after marrying you what miskeen your level is. And she said, oh, I need a divorce. I need to find a talib al-ilm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you look for somebody of knowledge. So, uh, then it says, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ahmed, his name was Ahmed. Ibn Taymiyyah's name was actually Ahmed. Ahmed, the son of Abdul Halim, the son of Abdul Salam, Ibn Taymiyyah. شيخ الإسلام الإمام المجدد المشهور الذي نفع الله بعلومه ولا يزال نفعه مستمرا ولله الحمد وكتبه لا تزال موضع تنافس طلاب العلم ها. Uh, 
prevalent uh, or available and widespread, and they are still the source of the competing of the students. The students compete to get their hands on the books of Ibn Taymiyyah. They compete to get their hands on the books of Ibn Taymiyyah, to be able to read into them and look into them. And that is what all of the scholars will tell you. Read the books of Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim. As an example from those who you should be reading from. The books of Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim, Rahimahum Allah, they have a huge amount in terms of knowledge and advice and guidance and admonition, all types of benefits from all around the fields of knowledge in the books of Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim. So that is recommended by all of the scholars, they will tell you that. Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Al-Qayyim. And many of the scholars in the university, you have your schedule. When you're at the university, University of Medina, you have approximately 25 lectures a week. Very similar to the schedules here at the universities. 25 lectures a week you have to attend, approximately. And then outside, and that's uh, in the mornings, like 7 a.m. till 1 p.m., all of your lectures are in that time slot. Then the rest of the day you're free. So then on top of that, you'll have maybe three or four lessons of the scholars you attend every week, taking it up to 30 hours. And then after that, you'll have your revision, your memorization, all types of work you need to do, writing your essays, whatever, another 10, 20 hours of your week. Once you've filled up all of your schedule, you have that little bit of time you can squeeze out for personal reading. Nothing to do with what you're studying at the university, nothing to do with the curriculum, nothing to do with the lectures you're attending with the scholars, just some personal reading. You can squeeze a bit of time in, maybe half an hour on a Monday, maybe 20 minutes on a Thursday, you can squeeze in a little bit of personal reading. What did the students read in that personal reading slot, pick up the books of Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim. Pick up the books of Ibn Taymiyyah and start reading. Pick up the books of Ibn Al-Qayyim and start reading. Ibn Al-Qayyim, look at, for example, Hadi Al-Arwah, the, uh, the uh, book regarding paradise and all the affairs of paradise. In the opening section of that, pages and pages and pages talking about paradise and the two different types of paradise. When Adam salam, he was originally created, he was put into paradise. But was he put into the paradise, the paradise that the believers will go to after the accountability on the Day of Judgment? Was he put into that actual paradise and taken out of that actual paradise that the believers will go to, insha'Allah, or was he in some other paradise? Huge chapter talking about all of the evidences and the explanations and how ayat could indicate this and they could indicate that. Like a whole book, you could make a small treatise out of it, 40, 50, 60 pages. Was Adam in the actual paradise, the paradise we talk about, or some other paradise? And that's just one example. And you go to other chapters, you'll find huge discussions on all types of things, different topics of the religion. So, he is Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And he said, Al-Arraf ismun lil-kahin wal-munajjim wal-rammal wa-nahwihim. That the Arraf is the name of a kahin, or a munajjim, the one who does all of the soothsaying fortune telling via stars. Rammal, the one who does all of that via drawing lines in the sand. Drawing lines in the sand. And others like them. So they all revolve around fortune telling, uh, 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 palm reading, crystal ball, those kinds of things we talk about these days. All of them revolve around that type of meaning, informing you of the unseen via their different methods. لِأَنَّ كَلِمَةَ الْعَرَّافَ عَامَّةَ يَدْخُلُ تَحْتَهَا كُلُّ مَنْ يَدْعِي مَعْرِفَةَ الْمُسْتَقْبِلِ Anyone who claims to have knowledge of the future, what's going to happen in the future, 
then that individual comes under the uh, title of Arraf, anyone claiming to have knowledge of the future. And now all you have to do, and don't do it, but all you do now on social media, there are all these people, are they not? Social media people who say, we're from the future. I came from the year 4276, and this happened, and that's going to happen, and you get it all over social media, and everybody making these kinds of claims, all nonsense, anybody who claims to have knowledge of the unseen and the future, and that is from these titles. Whether it is through all of the different methods, crystal ball, or palm reading, or tarot cards, or drawing lines in the sand, or from the way the magicians do it, when they seek personal items from you, or uh, uh, seek personal details from you. They'll say, give me your mother's full name, and things like that. They'll say, let me look at your hand, give me your mother's full name, give me some item from your house, all of the methods that they use. Drawing drawing lines in the sand. All of them, every single one of them of that nature, they work with the shayateen, they seek closeness to the shayateen, and then the shayateen, they inform them. A relative of mine told me once too that there was an individual who went to one of these, these fortune teller sorcerers, healers, as we spoke about. And this person went to the healer because they had some medical problem in one of their joints, uh, like arthritis, whatever, a lot of pain in one of their joints. And it wasn't getting fixed up with the medical treatments and everything else. They went to this individual and they say the individual had a group of kids, children, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds, sitting around in a circle. And, and this Araf or whoever he is was sat there with this circle of children around him. The person goes in, the client goes in. Before the client opens their mouth and says a word, this client was narrating this story. They said, as I walked in, all the children, they were there, in like a trance. The children were sat there like in a trance. And they said that the children began saying, He's coming, he's coming. They're talking about the jinni. The big jinni is coming, he's coming, he's coming. And the children are in that trance. And then the jinni comes, jinni examines this client, and the jinni tells them exactly what the problem with this client is. And then this Araf says, okay, so now it's your shoulder on your left side and you've had the problem for a certain number of years. And, and he starts telling everything to that person about their problem because of this jinni has come and examined and looked and been able to ascertain certain things. And that is why these children sat in this trance. Uh, this was witnessed by someone that I know. So all of these people, they work with the shayateen. To the extent on that one, the person said, the children began saying, he's coming, he's coming, meaning the jinni. So here then the sheikh says, they all work with the shayateen. هَلْ أُنَبِّئُكُمْ عَلَى مَنْ تَنَزَّلُ الشَّيَاطِينَ Shall I inform you of those whom the shayateen descend upon? تَنَزَّلُ عَلَى كُلِّ أَفَّاكٍ أَفِينَ Meaning the kathab. They go to all of those fabricators, liars, kathabun, dajjalun. They go to the likes of them. Yulquna sam'a wa akfaruhum kathibun. The majority of them are liars. Wahada yadkhulu fihi al-kahinu wal-munajjim wal-rammal wal-arraf. Kullum yadkhuluna tahta kalimat affakin athim. All of these types of individuals, they come under that title of being uh, the fabricators and liars. As for the prophets, The angels descend upon the prophets, but it's the shayateen who descend upon those liars and fabricators. فهذا يشمل كل كل من يتكلم في معرفة الأمور بهذه الطرق ممن يخبر عن هذه الأشياء بتلك الأمور التي يسمونها خطا في الرمل إلى آخره 
So all of these individuals, crystal ball, tarot, cards, hands, palms, drawing lines in the sand, all of them are upon that same methodology. They all come under these narrations and these evidences. وَأَمَّا اخْتِلَافُ الْوَسَائِلِ هَذَا يَسْتَعْمِلْ كَذَا وَذَا يَسْتَعْمِلْ كَذَا فَلَا عِبْرَةَ بِهَا لِأَنَّ النَّتِيجَةَ هِيَ الدِّعَاءُ عِلْمِ الْغَيْبِ نَتِيجَةَ وَاحِدَةَ Makes no difference how they do it. Whether they have their crystal ball, whether they have their cards, whether they draw lines in the sand, whether they use the stars, doesn't matter what method they use, all of them are in this category uh, because the end result is all of them claim knowledge of the unseen. So what is important, what the point is, is the end result. The end result is all of them claiming knowledge of the unseen. And so the ruling upon all of them, regardless of how they are doing it, upon their claim, the ruling upon all of them is that it is kufar. وَالْحُكَمْ أَنَّ كُلَّ هَؤُلَاءِ كَفَرَةً لأنهم يدعون مشاركة الله تعالى في صفات من أعظم صفاته وعلم الغيب. So they all claim to have some participation with Allah subhanahu wa taala in knowledge of the unseen, and that makes all of them having fallen into that kufr and shirk. We'll uh, stop on that today. We'll mention the actual statement. In fact, we'll finish it. Then. We'll finish it. There's only uh, the last statement left. We'll just finish this last section off. Ibn Taymiyyah then, uh, that was what he mentioned. Then Ibn Abbas, قَالَ ابْنُ عَبَّاسٍ فِي قَوْمٍ يَكْتُبُونَ أَبَا جَادٍ وَيَنْظُرُونَ فِي النُّجُومِ مَا أَرَى مِنْ فِعْلِ ذَلِكَ لَهُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ مَنْ فَعْلَ ذَلِكَ لَهُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ Ibn Abbas said that the ones who write with the Abba Jad, we'll come to that in a minute, and they look into the stars and, and, and use that for their claims of the unseen. I do not see, Ibn Abbas said, I do not see that the one who does that will have any portion in the hereafter. So, Abba Jad, Al-Muradu Biha Huruf Al-Jummal, Al-Lati Hiya Abjad, Hawiz, Hutti, Kaliman, Ila Akhirin. وهي حروف مقطعة اكتبونها لتمييز الجمل والمشاعوذ إذا كتب هذه الحروف قال يحدث كذا وكذا This is like when you see those papers and there are all of these uh, confusing words that may, you know it's like the English when they say abracadabra that word what does it mean? It's a word that they use in their magic and it is associated to magic that's basically what it is abajat that they have these words, they have these particular words that they write. They write them in amongst their statements and amongst their writings, and these particular words and these particular letters, they write them in to separate between their sections, and all of those are written down, and they say once you write down these words, like the equivalent of their abracadabra and hocus pocus, those kinds of words, they have them and they write them down and they say if you write these words, then such and such will happen, and such and such will take place. Ibn Abbas said the one who does that, who writes down these kinds of things and these kinds of weird and wonderful words that have no meaning or understanding or comprehension to them, writes them and claims this will inform you of what's going to happen in the future, then those types of people have no portion of the afterlife, meaning they have no paradise, no portion of the paradise to enter into. Uh, Meaning otherwise, if they are not going to get paradise whatsoever in the afterlife, they are upon khufar. مَعْنَاهُ أَنَّهُ كَافِرٌ لِأَنَّ الَّذِي لَيْسَ لَهُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ خَلَاقٌ هُوَ الْكَافِرٌ the one who does not have any share of that paradise in the afterlife, then he is a disbeliever. As Allah said about them, وَلَقَدْ عَلِمُوا لَمَنِ اشْتَرَاهُمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقِ They knew, the ones who purchased that regarding the Jews, the magic and everything they got involved in, they knew they would have no share of anything in the afterlife from that paradise. They do not have that share. فَهَذَا حُكْمُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبَّاسِ 
على أصحاب الطلاسم الذين يكتبون الحروف المقطعة وينظرون في النجوم ويقولون سيحدث كذا فهذا من ادعاء علم الغيب وهو طريقة من طرق الكهانة أو العرافة أو أو التنجيم والسحر وسميها ما شئت لا يهمنا الأسماء الذي يهمنا النتيجة والحكم الشرعي So the sheikh says call it whatever you want the fortune tellers, the sorcerers, the magicians all of the different titles and names and the styles that they use all of them have the same end result of claiming knowledge of the unseen and so the ruling upon them all is the same. Uh, the sheikh just makes a point. What about uh, when you write like A, B, C? You're writing something and you want to distinguish different parts. You write part A and then whatever you're going to write, then part B. That doesn't come into this in case somebody says, is that similar to this? Then it is not. That is not intending the same point. That is okay, writing A, B, C, separating your speech. So the point said, the point is at the end he says, أَنَّ هَذَا بَابٌ عَظِيمٌ لِأَنَّهُ يُعَالِجُ أَمْرَاضًا وَاقِعًا فِي الْعَالَمْ الْيَوْمِ That these chapters are very important because they are dealing with real life events that occur in the world now. People going to these magicians and sorcerers. Here I saw it somewhere. They have the, the, the booth, the cabin. And it says go in, pay, pay money and go inside and sit down with the fortune teller. And he'll tell you, he'll read your palms, he'll do your cards or whatever. So لا أقول في العالم الكافر لأنه ليس بعد الكفر ذنب لكن في العالم الإسلامي. The Sheikh says, and I'm not just talking about in the 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 uh, uh, countries that are non-Islamic, non-Muslim countries. Obviously, it happens there. Whatever happens there, it's upon kufr. But even in the Muslim countries, he says, this is occurring. This occurs in the Muslim world that they go to these sorcerers and fortune tellers and the likes of these people. وربما يسمونه أعمالا رياضية. And they might give it all types of different names. They, they, may, they may say, no, but this is just uh, uh, some type of statistical analysis that we do. And whatever they say, if they are claiming knowledge of the unseen, then it is haram and impermissible. So he says, this is something that exists. Uh, what do you call the wabaq? Epidemic. epidemic, yeah. This epidemic of these magicians and sorcerers and fortune tellers, it has become widespread everywhere. And they say this is from the arts. This is an artistic, uh, uh, some type of artistic thing. It's a type of art and it's a type of uh, 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 artistic practice that you can do this or they give them other names uh, 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 to raise them and to uh, put them onto some type of pedestal and to claim that these people are people of knowledge and then he concludes at the end again by highlighting the difference between the karamat of the awliya those who are upon belief and iman and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes easy for them certain affairs as opposed to these individuals who are upon kufr and shirk and their actions are not from the karamat of the awliya but rather they are with the shayateen working with the shayateen that brings us to the end of that particular chapter then next time then inshallah ta'ala will begin with the other chapter coming up babu ma jaa fi nushrah it's still connected with magic, different forms of magic, other types now that are going to be mentioned. Uh, and then there's going to be the issue at some point we'll maybe come across it. If somebody has magic done on them, are you allowed to cure that magic with magic? So we'll come to that inshallah as well. We'll have a discussion on that topic. And then the omens is going to come up yet as well, 13th of Friday, Friday the 13th, a black cat, broken mirror, horseshoe, all of those types of things is going to come up in the next two or three chapters as well. So inshallah ta'ala, with that one uh, in two weeks time now, not next Saturday, in two weeks time is the next one for this, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions or anything to add? Is that all these go off and...
different as people? Do they have the same rules in terms of capital punishment? Yeah, all of these who are claiming knowledge of the unseen, if they've committed kufr, then upon apostasy, it's the same ruling. You know, there's a, a magician they use and uh, they use a mother name. Mother. So when we, when we ever, you know, use a bank details, we, they ask for mother name, maiden name, and everything. That's an option you have anyway. Okay. Uh, that's a, a password. Okay. As, a, as a password or something, they ask you for that. Okay. I don't think, inshallah, there's any type of... Uh, some, some worldwide plot okay. that all, uh, I mean I know there's a lot of people believe in a lot of plots these days but I don't think Allah that there's a worldwide plot in the banking system where they're all magicians and they want your mother's maiden name as your password so they can get access to that and do magic on you it's unlikely shall we say okay. two more questions huh? um, you said in a story in the, this uh, lesson you know the, when um, uh, the man went to the he said world to see the worldly life get rich he, he was been praying for a long time but it's the Quran it says the prayer if he's praying for a long time yeah getting wealth oh, isn't fahsha or munkar but is the world is greed for worldly life except no, how do you know greed how, how do you know greed <laughs> the companions they went to the messenger and said that the rich companions are getting all the reward we don't have any money they wanted money but why did they want money to give in charity for the sake of Allah. Maybe he wanted to have that money to build a mosque with it. Maybe he wanted to do good things. We don't know that. And even if it was greed, that doesn't uh, n uh, you know, negate any of those ayat or anything else. A person can be practicing and praying, but you become weak and wealth is something that the soul is attracted to, as it says in the Quran. Uh, mm. and the last one. Ibn mm. Tamiya and the other, other uh, scholars, they not get married. They must have... Uh, uh, principle from Quran and Sunnah, that's why they didn't No, they didn't not marry because of a principle. Uh. They didn't not marry because they thought there was some evidence not to marry. They knew that you marry. If you read the books of Ibn Taymiyyah, all the scholars, you'll find evidences where they talk about the need to marry. They didn't marry because of circumstances. Circumstances just didn't allow it. It was an exceptional situation for them. Not because they thought there's some evidence that you're not supposed to marry. Not at all. It was just exceptional circumstances specific to those few individuals. Which the students claim to have. And they're nowhere near those. Huh. Huh. Omens are uh, impermissible. We're going to get to that. Next week or the week after, there's a chapter coming all about omens. So we'll do that. It's impermissible. Haram. What time is prayer? 41. 41, okay. The ruling of the magician applied to all of these people. Does that mean even if they repent like the magician, they're still executed? Uh, with some of them, if they repent and return back to Islam, if the ruling was that they are being given capital punishment because of ridda, then if they repent and return back, then they wouldn't be killed. But the magician... With him, it's specific that even if you repent, he is still killed because you do not know if he is actually speaking the truth or not. If he is, then khalas, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, he'll have his reward for it. If he wasn't, then that is a fair on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The others, Allah Alam, if they get to that level uh, of their apostasy being of that nature. If it's just general apostasy, they can repent. So, uh, I don't think it's the same as magician in that regard. Well, according to this, uh, uh, the general principles, if he abandoned the prayer, then according to many of the scholars, there, he's committed kufr now. But the fact that he took action, took means to port to there. Up to that level, no. Okay. Up to that level wouldn't dictate that he's be, uh, committed kufr yet. He hasn't technically done anything yet. He's gone there. But as soon as what, when he had to do something, he stopped straight away. So technically, he hadn't done anything yet. Salaam He was secret service. Huh? He wanted to do it because he was maybe secret service. Service? <laughs> 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 All right. 
give people things like you know, acid and black seed oil and things like that, and they claim, they say that they, are, they will cure cancer and this will happen and this will happen, they, uh, and, 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 they, and they guarantee results. Would that be classed as a kind no, no, those, what you've mentioned there, the examples you've given are in the sunnah. The black seed oil and honey and these kinds of things, they're mentioned in the sunnah as, as uh, medicines. So, you, of course, you can use those, and of course, you would uh, expect and hope for good results as they are mentioned in the sunnah. That doesn't negate the fact that you can use what you want to call traditional medicine. It doesn't negate that. You can go use the traditional medicine. You want to have a paracetamol when you've got a headache, you can have one. Nothing wrong with those things. That's permissible, all good. Uh, you know, you don't go to an extent where you say, I'm not going to use any forms of traditional medicine. If you want to, you can do that. There's nothing haram about that. But at the same time, using honey and black seed and all these things, they're in the sunnah. But saying that it will definitely kill you. Claiming that it's definitely You hope for that. That's in the sunnah. That these will give you a cure, honey and black seed, and that's what you have hope in, that it will absolutely do that. <laughs>